Welcome to the Defining Leaders podcast. Defining Leaders was founded by the idea that together is better. We started as a virtual community that worked together to help develop and lift each other up, helping to boost one another's careers and make work a better place to be. We wanted to grow that community, so we decided to bring it here. I'm your host, Kristen Gupta, the connector of people. And this is Defining Leaders, where together is better. Thank you for joining us for today's session on Defining Leaders, where we're really focusing on leadership excellence. Today's topic is focused on crucial conversations. How often do we as leaders not have the conversation that we should be having? How often do we take an aggressive approach and because we're uncomfortable, have a crucial conversation in all the wrong ways? Or how often do we sit back and not say what we should say because maybe we're just being too nice or maybe we've gotten apathetic? about the situation. So this is what we talked about in today's Defining Leaders session that we hold virtually on Wednesdays. But I wanted to carry on the conversation for those of you that are listeners for our podcast today. And we are joined by Sarah Deacon, Life Balance Coach. And Sarah has joined us a few times in the past. And Susan Mentor. And Susan, did I say your last name correctly? It's like winter with an M. Wonderful. And I love, I love having Susan join us because she comes from an HR background, which I think can really help us to see into that world and see what that's like when it comes to having crucial conversations, because how often do we have to have that under this? So welcome, Sarah, and welcome, Susan. So glad to have you today. Thanks, Kristen. So we had this conversation on crucial conversations. And one of the things that we talked about first was in order to have crucial conversations, we need to have a two-way street when it comes to our relationships. Because a lot of times, let's call it old school leadership, it was a top-down mentality of I give feedback to my people and therefore they do things. But what we've come to learn in leadership and what we've come to learn in our group as well is if it's not a two-way street, if we're not also accepting feedback and even seeking out feedback from those that report to us, it's really hard to have these conversations. Did either of you pick up on anything that you feel is important to share when it comes to that piece of the conversation today? Something that was um, something that came up in our group and something that struck me out of uh, what you had opened the, the session with was just how, how to solicit that feedback as a leader. There was a member that brought up a way of doing it where it's it's anonymous because maybe it was never done before. The leaders never sought that out because of the old school top-down mentality. And that layer of anonymity starts to build that trust where like, okay, I won't be singled out. I won't be called out for my suggestion or my feedback because my name's not associated and it's not you know, part of my, my performance review or anything like that. So I thought that was, um, that struck me as one way to build that culture of trust, which can then foster that ability to be more um, sincere, more kind in the feedback and more effective. And even just building it into the system so that that anonymous feedback can come. So your people can feel like something is happening 
but are you acting upon it too? Or is it like that Dropbox that we see in the cartoons of feedback goes into the trash, right? It's important that you have the full cycle of that too. So absolutely. That's the leader's job. Yeah. Yeah. Susan, how about you? So one of the things that I think is really important for people to know is that when you ask for feedback, that you're actually listening and you care about what they're going to say. So you brought it up before. I think sincerity and um, really having a relationship with that person, even if it's going to be a tough conversation, is really important. Um, to just give platitudes that, you know, uh, oh, yeah, come in here and tell me what you think. And then, you know, they're not really listening or hearing what you're saying or caring what you say has no effect whatsoever. You're more, more likely to not bring up what you're, really needs to be said. So I think there's a lot to be said about integrity and sincerity, as well as really actively listening to the person and what, they're, what they have to say. Yeah, I agree with that. Sarah. I think that's great, Susan, that you bring that up because that actually came up in conversation in our group um, as one of the group members was talking about, you know, giving personal feedback, like you're going shopping with a friend and, um, and the friends tend to be you know, more nice. Like you like that thing you tried on, so I'm not going to say anything, even if I don't like it or even if it makes you look funny, that having that, that foundation of how you receive the feedback being so important, what you were saying, Susan, like, if I know that if I bring up an issue, you're just going to dismiss me, or it's not going to get addressed, and it's not going to get looked at at all, then why am I going to bring it up? So I, I had asked the group member, I said, well, have you received constructive feedback from friends in a maybe more negative way before that led them to not give, you know, kind feedback to you. And, and she said she didn't think so. But again, it's like, how are we receiving feedback we get? Like you said at the beginning, Kristen, it's a two, two-way street. If I expect people to be honest with me because they care about me, well, I need to know that they actually care and I need to be willing to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's real easy for our hackles to go up or for our walls to start to raise the minute somebody gives us constructive feedback. I gave the example in the call because my husband was on today's call. And I gave the example of when he gives me constructive feedback, my immediate response is usually like yelling at him or getting angry or getting upset that he's giving me this feedback. But once I realize that this feedback is coming from a place of love, and coming from a place of wanting to help the next day, typically, I go back to him and I'm like, you know what, you're right. And I hate saying that, <laughs> but you're right. And how often, though, in a work environment, do we not give that person the ability to give us that feedback? Or do we not consciously choose to, okay, I feel this wall going up. I'm going to put my defenses down and I'm going to hear what they have to say. If, if it's hard for us to do it with our loved ones, it's very hard for us to then do it with people that we work with, unless we have that relationship with them as well, right? Yeah, that foundation of trust is super important, like we were talking about. Yeah, and even when the balance of power is different. So I brought up, you know, in the previous meeting that, you know, my I work with superintendents of school districts, and obviously the superintendent is my immediate superior. but 
they pay me to give them the correct answers. And often my superintendent would jokingly and sometimes not so jokingly say, you always tell me the things I don't want to hear, but I know you're right. So, you know, having the courage to give the correct answers and not just the answer that that person wants to hear, even though you know that they they may get angry or may get upset. But when you're looking after, for example, in my situation, the liability of the organization, you can't afford to just give the answer that would be safe or the answer that would be one that you think they want to hear. It's a responsibility to actually speak up and give the, the feedback or take care of the problem, even though it's really a difficult conversation to have. Absolutely. Well, and, and another one of our members, to, to just go on, build on that, was talking about how sometimes it is actually easier in certain situations, like work situations, to point to, here's this data point that I want to talk about. Because again, then it becomes less about you as a person and more about here is this thing that has happened. And that creates that space for more of that kind, constructive feedback, like, hey, these numbers are what they are. And what do you plan to do to make them better? And do you want some support with this? And again, like foster that, hey, we're on the same team and that responsibility to bring it to the next level. Yeah. And it was brought up as well from your group, Sarah, that it's easier to have these conversations when it's something objective versus something subjective. And when it's something subjective, it can be much harder to have that conversation. You need to have a deeper rooted relationship often in order to do that. And you have to be careful as well how you bring up that conversation. But also remember that the title of today's session is Crucial Conversations. Sometimes us not saying that thing or us holding back from saying the hard thing is the worst thing that we could do for that person. I think of the Kim Scott example that I gave. Uh, I, I read the book Radical Candor to help to get ready for today's conversation. And Kim tells the story when she's presenting on this specific topic of how she once reported to Sheryl Sandberg. And Sheryl Sandberg called her into our office after a great meeting, according to Kim one day, and said, Kim, your language is full of ums and ahs, and you should really work with a speech coach. And Kim pushed back and said, I don't need one. And twice Cheryl told her again, you really need to work with a speech coach because otherwise you sound stupid in front of leadership at Google. And I don't want you to continue to sound that way because I want you to get the promotions. I want you to advance like I know you can. This is a crucial conversation that Kim probably didn't want to hear, but needed to hear to be able to rise up. How do we, I I want our listeners to think about how do we develop the relationships and the courage to have the conversations that we need to with the people that we work with so that they can rise, not because we're embarrassed by our coworker that's full of the ums and ahs, but because we want to help our coworker to rise up. Another thing that she shared in her book is this compass on care personally and challenge directly. Once you get those two things right, you're helping other people to rise up. But if you get either one of those wrong, it ends up being terrible for both you and the other person, right? And this is where the conversation really cinches is you could be obnoxious. You could be 
uh, manipulative. You could be ruinous with your empathy uh, when you're working with people if you don't have both of these together, right? That care personally and the challenge directly. So any examples from your conversation today around that area? So one of the things I talked about during the conversation was I often have to, in my role in HR, I often have to coach other managers on how to have crucial conversations. And it is really easy to give platitudes or to gloss over the situation or to avoid having the situation. For example, if, if an employee would come in and ask you for a raise and, you know, just, just say, oh, you know, that's, you know, I know you do great work and, you know, certainly, you know, I'll look into that and whatever. And you never do anything about that. You are destroying your credibility. And so that goes along with that sincerity and that having a relationship with that person, you know, being much more upfront and just saying, you know, I don't have the authority to make that decision right now. And I don't have the information I need to be able to make that decision is much more respectful and it gives you much greater credibility, even though it's a really hard thing for the other person to hear. However, if you give platitudes and you never do anything about that, that person will never trust you again. And you've just lost your credibility. And losing credibility as a leader is something that you, I would tell my, my managers all the time, you will never regain that with those, pers- with those people, ever. And mm-hmm. it's really hard to manage people that have no respect or have no, they don't trust you. And so, you know, it, establishing that credibility and establishing that respect for people, even when you're delivering news they don't want to hear, will garner you much further. Sometimes with that credibility comes vulnerability, meaning letting them know when you don't have the power to change something or being Mm -hmm. honest with them about the situation as well, being vulnerable, like tearing down those walls and showing them what might be behind it versus, as you said, Susan, giving them platitudes or telling them that you're going to do something. Sometimes people think that credibility means you don't have any cracks. That's not really what it means. It just means being sincere and telling them how it really is without being just blunt, right? There's a difference between the two. So Sarah, well, the, um, Yeah, the example you gave before, I mean, that came up a little bit in our group too, was, was how, like I said in the beginning, fostering that relationship and building up that trust, it's, it's about having those shared goals. And for me, when I really feel like my leaders or managers are invested in my success and appreciate my contribution, that's when I'm much more likely to be able to take feedback well is because I already have that foundation where I know they're looking out for me as well as their interests, right? They're, they're also looking out for me. It's that, it's that old phrase, uh, you know, it's a cliche, but you know, you don't care how much I don't care how much you know until I know how much you care. So, and that's something that, you know, I practice, you know, with teaching martial arts, with other, you know, situations I'm in is I want to give more than I ask. Mm-hmm. So by giving more and pouring into people, that sort of helps them take their walls down so that then I can ask them to rise to a new challenge or try something different or see things in a new way. 
that's sort of the the big takeaway I have is that it has to do with that positive interaction. I, you know, that story about Sheryl Sandberg and the author of that book, it's, well, they had this foundation and it wasn't just, you need to change your speech because you need to change your speech. It's, I think you could go farther and I want to see you shine. So like, you're showing the care. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like in martial arts, actually, Sarah, I think about this, the higher the belt level you are, the more mastery you're getting. But if you're doing things wrong, you're also building the muscle memory of doing that thing wrong. And it's so hard to break out of that habit. So with white belts, it's important just to get them out there, just to get them doing it. Mm -hmm. But when you reach green belt, if you're still punching wrong or kicking completely wrong, if your sidekick looks more like your front kick, and they should be different and you should know how to turn your hip. Or if you're not pivoting your foot when you're doing a roundhouse or something like that, you are potentially ruining your body, but you're also ruining your ability to get it right in the future. So once you reach black belt, it's going to be really, really hard to break out of these bad habits. So a part of this is nipping those bad habits in the bud so that before it gets too huge where you have to fire somebody or before it gets too huge in martial arts where somebody gets injured, you nip it in the bud for their sake, right? That's so important as well. That's, that's what we talked about right at the end of our small group in the last like 10 seconds. It was how much smoother would those huge crucial conversations go? If we had had all these tiny little small crucial conversations along the way, building up to it, it's again, like that foundation is, you know, making sure that at white or gold belt, the the lower belts, you know, that there are certain foundations that you're going to work on all the way up and you're going to get better and better if someone's investing in you, you know, minutes at a time, if you're just getting those small things, just somebody showing up, showing you they care, pouring into you, making small corrections along the way, like that, then the bigger corrections are going to come from a place that you trust, a, pla- a person whose opinion you value. It's, it's going to be you know, much easier to, you know, after you have those reps for the little ones. <laughs> Yeah. What Rich Grobelny brought up today is consistency is key when it comes to crucial conversations. If it's a surprise that somebody's being honest with you or being sincere with you, you haven't built the culture of having these conversations. If you have the culture, people have less defensive walls built up because this is not something that happens sporadically. This is something that happens because they care about you and they want to help you to grow. It's not just because they were miffed by how you acted or miffed by one thing that happened. It's because they're in a culture of, we raise our people up. How many times do people get fired for performance issues without even knowing that they had performance issues? So one of the things I wanted to talk about too, was that if you've never had these type of conversations before, and perhaps you have a manager that hasn't had these conversations, I really encourage them to practice with a friend. So I would often role play with my managers and say, okay, you're going to have this tough conversation with an employee. I'll be the employee and you 
you know, frame out the conversation. And and I'm going to give you different possibilities of what they might say or what they might react. And then you can safely practice with me on how you're going to say what you need to say. And so that gives the manager confidence to be able to try out different ways, saying the thing, and then me giving them frank feedback on how they think that's going to be received. So sometimes setting up that safe environment for you to really run through that conversation before you actually have it makes that conversation go better. So I've just found over the years that that helps newer managers or managers that haven't had that type of situation be able to do those successfully. And the more they do them, the more natural it becomes. That's Absolutely. another way to get the reps. Yeah. It's like anything else. It's a practiced muscle. And if we're unpracticed in this muscle, it can be really hard to start. So like skiing on the bunny hill, like starting at white belt, like practicing with somebody that you know, We need to hone our skills when it comes to this. We're not going to come out of the gates perfect. We're going to have a lot of false starts at first. And even even being able to acknowledge if somebody asks you a really difficult question, to admit you don't know, you know, and to to say or or even to acknowledge, I'm sorry, I didn't tell you this before. The more difficult the conversation is going to be with the person, I think the more you need to be able to be vulnerable yourself in order to have this conversation with them, right? Not say this is really hard for me to say necessarily, because sometimes that's not the best thing, but being empathetic of where this person is going to come from and like being, as you say, Susan, sincere, right? Sincere versus blunt is a big difference between how the two are delivered. So how about saying something like, I know this isn't something you're going to want to hear, but it's something that I think it's really important for us to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. And then giving them time to absorb, I think is important as well. Doing it in a safe space so that they can have time to absorb, right? I think it's also important. So Well, great conversation, Sarah and Susan. There's a lot of resources that you can pick up on getting better in this. There's a book called Crucial Conversations with Susan. I know you would highly recommend. Mm -hmm. There's another book that I read to prepare for this called Radical Candor. And there are other resources out there on this as well. If you do a little bit of research. I myself am a big, big fan of Audible because I don't have time to sit down and read a book, but I can listen to it while I'm doing other things. Uh, But certainly do some research on this, get some practice in this, have some crucial conversations because it helps people, including yourself when you're good at using this muscle. Thank you guys for joining us today and hope you'll join us in the future. Thank you for joining us for Defining Leaders, where together is better. Become a part of our community where you can find out more about defining yourself as a leader. The link to join is in the show notes.